Scott Jennings, and today we're talking about signing a change order, what to look for. Executive summary. Ensure that before you sign a change order, all of the necessary components of your negotiation are included. Here's what to look for in a change order before you sign it. And don't forget, as I've told you before, you don't have to sign the change order. What is a change order? Well, it's a modification to your contract, so it is the contract. Also, know that it's called a change order because it's an order. It's not a request. It can be non-negotiable in that it must be performed by your company, regardless of whether or not you agree with it. When the contract and the owner can't mutually agree upon the terms of the document and it's issued to the contractor, this is called a unilateral change order. It just comes from one party, hence the uni, unilateral. So what needs to be included in the change order? Change orders... They're about two things, right? Impacts and time, impacts and cost. So time and cost should both be on there. Those are the biggest things. So the basic list of document components in a change order are these. Project name, number, and location. Just the change order number, the date of the change order. And now the first major item here is time. So when you're talking about time on a change order, the first thing you want is the original dates. By that, I mean the notice to proceed. So the original date on the contract, the notice to proceed, any milestone dates, any substantial completion dates or date likely, and then finally the original final completion. You also want on there the current dates. By current, I mean what are the current milestones because they might have changed by this change order or maybe a change order or two or three ago. So current dates are the current milestones, the current substantial completion, and the current final completion. The notice to proceed to the NTP hasn't changed, yeah? So these current dates are the current dates as of this particular change order. These dates, they're critical as they often determine when the liquidated damages may start. And then additionally, ensure that the math is done right. A lot of times... You get an extension or you ask for an extension via letter or whatever it may be, and you ask in calendar days, the contract isn't working days, or vice versa. So make sure that however you negotiated the change, working days or calendar days, make sure it was done correctly and put on the change order uh, with the right extension you requested. Scope of work. So the scope of work, this is a description of the work that is modified under the contract. So if originally you're change request from the owner came in a request for a proposal, an RFP, you want to make sure that language is in there, and then any modifications to it. If you negotiated any other aspects of the work, make sure they're in there. There shouldn't be any assumptions or omissions. So often, depending on where you're at in your career, if you're 22, recent into the business, you haven't seen someone die on a job or someone get transferred out of a job, but it all happens. People leave jobs. People with your company on the contractor side, people on the owner side. People just leave. It's part of business, part of life. So this document you're signing is going to outlive any of these personnel changes, so make sure everything's included. Because you should assume that someone outside of the negotiation is going to be relying on this narrative to manage and pay you for the work, so make sure it's complete. Lastly, remember that if it was important enough to say during the negotiation, it should be important enough to write now and put on this change order. So I said time and cost were the two most important things, right? Well, we, we handled time with all those dates. Now we have cost. So on the cost section of the change order, the first thing you ought to have is a reconciliation. What was the original contract value? What are the changes to date? And what is now the new value of the contract? Make sure those numbers are on there. Obviously, you want the cost of the work. All the direct 
and indirect, probably field indirects is what I'm talking about here. So the direct cost of the work and the indirect cost of the work should be included. This is usually limited to the cost expended at the job site, so labor, material, equipment, and sub. It should include line items for management at the product level if your contract allows it. This is the big one, cost resulting from time effects. This is usually called extended performance, extended performance. So when a contract's duration lengthens, there are additional costs associated with on-site personnel as well as your corporate office. These costs are usually ones which owners wish to ignore, but your contract may allow it. So you've got to push it in order to get it oftentimes. If you cannot include them, because likely the owner has prohibited them, either verbally or, hey, we'll just take care of that at the end, or, hey, pff, man, sorry, the contract doesn't allow it. All that's garbage. So if there's a way to get it in, you should try to get in. If you cannot get it in, you have two options. The first option, if you cannot get in your extended performance or your corporate costs, you know, back at the home office, you can take option A, unilateral change order. So a unilateral change order, as I mentioned before, is issued to you but not signed by you. The way a contractor handles this is you receive the change order and you read it. If it doesn't include what you want, if you cannot write with a pen and your hand on the face of it, then just return it with a transmittal, some formal means of returning it saying I won't sign it because it excludes extended performance or corporate office uh, costs or whatever. Just formally send it back. That way it's on the record that you sent it back and you protested it. So that's option A, the unilateral change order. Send it back non-signed. They can still pay it. The second option, option B, is issue a parallel but separate letter. So this option is weak. However, some contractors do do it with success. It can be a letter of protest or a letter of clarification. So in this situation, the contractor signs the document, um, signs the change order, and then concurrently issues a letter clarifying the terms of the change order. The letter attached says something to the effect of, you know, please be advised that we executed change order number six. We disagree with the terms of the contract, and we wish to notify the owner that it should uh, it excluded uh, home office costs or extended performance costs or whatever. So you're explaining in a letter running parallel to the actual change order. Back goes the change order to the owner. Back goes the letter to the owner. As stated above, you know, uh, on the actual article, and as I said here in the last minute, this parallel letter is a poor option and, frankly, one that may hold no water when you ask a court to enforce it. Enforce it. Ultimately, the contract is all that matters. And the change order is the contract. My story, I once had a $3 million project with 22 unilateral change orders. The owner refused to acknowledge the effects of time on my project. Each of the change orders was returned by me with no signature. They were all eventually paid, and it caused a lot of stress on the job site, which wasn't good, but I just couldn't exclude the cost. And that job went to mediation, and it was awful. But... You better be explicit when you state the exclusions. You know, it's a it's a slippery slope, however you do it. Have a great day. Work safe.